0: listeners, welcome to The S-Word. Today we are recording this from Tkaronto, home of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people. Treaty 13 in Williams Treaty land. And remember, reconciliation means acknowledging genocide and taking action to end colonialism. I'm your host, Megan Christou. And I'm the
1: producer, Emilia Garska. Together, we represent Opsu-Safpo Young Workers. We are bringing issues that affect young workers to the table to discuss, analyze, and strategize.
0: Today, we are discussing precarious work with Ahmed Gaid, Secretary-Treasurer of the Ontario Federation of Labour. Ahmed was first elected to the OFL's executive in 2015 at the age of 33, making Ahmed the youngest officer in the history of the Ontario Federation of Labour a proud member of the Muslim community and a worker of color. He's Libyan-Canadian. He is an ardent supporter of grassroots and worker-led initiatives, assisting uh, and organizing non-union workers so they can benefit from unionized uh, representation. Ahmed began his trade union activism as a chief steward at his no-frills store in 2003, and rose through the ranks to the position of member engagement representative for the UFCW Canada Local 1000A. Ahmed, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I want to begin by asking you uh, your very first job that you have that you want to share with us. And we're <laughs> going to start from there.
2: <laughs> right on. Well, first of all, thank you so much uh, for having me. Uh, I'm really excited about this podcast. You know, it's a. Uh, uh, one of the first, I think, of its kind here at, at OBSU for Young Workers, right? Is, am I mistaken? You're is
0: right. This right. is the first one. <laughs> right on.
2: So um, uh, I'm, I'm very honoured and humbled to be included as part of this uh, podcast and conversation. But, um, you know, one of the first jobs that I've had uh, was working in a grocery store. Um, and uh, I worked there for uh, a number of years as a, a younger worker, a, a student, You know, um, I got that job thinking it was going to be a short-term job to put me through university. And, um, yeah, I I worked in one of Canada's largest grocery retailers and um, the rest is history. It was a unionized job. I, I worked that job. I switched locations at one point. You know, I got new management, and uh, the new management there um, started doing things that were strange to me. Mm. You know, taking away uh, hours that belonged to me, mm-hmm. uh, and as a young worker, like I had uh, bills to pay, I had school to save up for. We know what the cost of post-secondary education is. Um, you know, that's one of the things that really impacts young workers. And um, you know, I didn't think it was fair that you know less senior people were getting shifts that I was available for, and Um, So, you know, I I put in a complaint. The manager didn't really like that, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, I brought it up with the manager thinking that's the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. Not knowing too much about, you know, uh, trade unionism or anything about my union, really. Mm -hmm. You know, I really didn't participate at that point. And I, um, you know, the manager told me that uh, he wasn't going to give me the shifts Mm -hmm. that belong to me. Um, And it's actually my union's fault why he was doing (laughs) that. And I was like, the union? Who's the union? What do you mean? Give me their number, right? (laughs) So I ended up uh, I ended up contacting the union um, and uh, I called my rep, gave my rep an earful like, how dare you take away my hours? And, you know, uh, you know, I I love that rep. They had a lot of patience (laughs) with this young worker, right? Um, Called that rep and uh, gave uh, gave uh, that rep an earful the the rep took the time uh used it as a teachable moment for me nice um to let me know what being part of a union means Mm -hmm. uh to let me know that the uh the union was actually like i was the union and like uh, you know he's, he's on my side the union's on your side and um you know he went to bat for me and, you know, I ended up getting, uh, you know, what was owed to me and what belonged to me and, and, and I was made whole, yeah.
0: Yeah, so do you think that because of that interaction with the steward, that's actually probably what sparked your interest in union involvement?
2: I think it's one of the things that, that actually sparked my involvement. I mean, when I look back at my own family's history, uh, my father struggled with precarious work himself. Uh, you know, he, he was an immigrant to this country. Um, I have seven siblings, right? So yeah, there's eight of us. Uh, God love my mother. She, uh, you know, she really did uh, a a great job raising all of us and, uh, you know, nurturing all of us. And, you know, my father was what some call the breadwinner. So he was going out doing the waged work and my mom was doing the unwaged work at home, right? So um, really, um, I saw my dad struggle with precarious work. You know, we moved from one city to the next, I've lived in Guelph, Hamilton, Ottawa, you know, wow. various uh, regions of Toronto. My father was following work. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of the most highly educated people that I know. And so, you know, I saw that at a young age. Um, I know we struggled now that I look back at it. I never felt like I lived in poverty. I never felt poor, I never felt hungry. Um, but I know that my parents probably felt all those things, including hunger, right? So. Uh, I look back at that and I'm appreciative of that. And then that's sort of where I start drawing, like where I, perhaps where I get my strength or my fight in my belly, right? Um, that's one of the first things that I think sort of sparked that, but having that experience with my employer mm-hmm. as a young worker, where, you know, they're taking away hours from me. I think that is probably like, sometimes it's funny, we got to thank bad employers right oh, because definitely. sometimes they create sometimes they create the best activists <laughs> right yeah exactly. so i think that's those two things are probably uh, you know led uh, me to uh you know become who i am and become an activist become vocal become a shop steward eventually mm-hmm. and a, a leader within my workplace
0: So, what did that look like becoming a shop steward? How many years were you working uh, until you decided to finally become a shop steward?
2: Yeah, well, it's kind of a strange story because I I don't think I wanted to become a shop steward. It was sort of just like thrust on me.
0: I think that happens (laughs) to a lot of us. Yeah. (laughs) Right.
2: So, you know, um, going through the experience that I went through Um, And then I learned more about the collective agreement. You know, my rep at work took the time to educate me. Um, You know, I was uh, told to attend like a Young Workers Summit that was happening. And so I went to that, I got to meet my leadership. I had great leadership um, that saw something in me and they sort of activated me even further. They got me involved with political action. And so I got to do things like, you know, work on election campaigns. At that time, unions were able to sort of provide some personnel to work on uh, election campaigns and and pay for it. And um, so I was working on campaigns uh, provincially. And uh, in the workplace, a lot of people would have issues. Mm -hmm. And they would be like, oh, you know, I don't know what to do about this. And just like when you talk with a colleague or friend at work, it's, oh, you know, you should call this person, call our rep, they'll help you with this, they helped me. And it was kind of like, you know, one of those like uh, feel good stories of like, hey, they helped me, they can help you too. And so quite often, um, you know, my union would see that and they were like, you're already being kind of a shop steward. You're already telling people about the collective agreement. You're already, you should become a steward. And so I think the combination of going to the Young Workers Summit plus, you know, me learning through my rep, what, uh, you know, my union meant to me and to the workforce. I think that's sort of what activated me as a young worker.
0: I think it's pretty amazing that your union was actually able to kind of point out that you already had some of those leadership qualities and bring you into the fold. And I think that a lot of, um, unions can miss that because young workers are so precarious. So I think it's pretty amazing that you got set up into a pipeline to sort of become a leader. Um, So we're going to skip ahead to um, getting your OFL position. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about that journey?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I mean, you know, once I was activated, I, I ended up, you know, doing a lot of things within my local. Again, I worked in political action. Um, my my union decided to pull me into organizing too so we were organizing you know uh, non union workplaces working on those types of campaigns i was building my confidence learning how to do things like publicly speak and you know talk with people and i'm naturally i'm an introvert uh, a lot of people don't know that about me i'm an introvert i'm actually I, I fear public speaking i fear talking in front of big crowds right so you
0: probably need a lot of like recharge downtime oh, to take care of yourself A 100%
2: yeah. Yeah. you know like So for me, like going out of my comfort zone and you know, my union sort of pushed me out of my comfort zone to do these things. That's sort of what kind of led me to um, get more involved with my union. Uh, I became staff of my union. Um, I started, uh, I was a shop steward for years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I worked in organizing, I worked in political action. Um, They then asked me to train all of our other stewards and administer like the education at our local uh, and then an opportunity came up at the OFL um, you know, and I was asked uh, you know, you're a, you're a leader here at our union, mm-hmm. but what do you think about being a leader in Ontario? And, it, you know, I was sort of canvassed that way and asked that question. Yeah. And. I researched it for some time. I didn't say yes right away.
0: So, before you hadn't been to any of their um, like caucuses or conventions before that?
2: No, I I did go to OFL conventions. I did participate at OFL conventions. Interesting. Um, I did, you know, know a bit about the OFL. But as far as the leadership was concerned,
0: um,
2: as a younger person, sometimes we don't see ourselves as being the leader of a movement or the leader uh, of a union. Um, but my, my, my union and my local was really good about like sort of peeling that back and saying anyone can be a leader as long as you're willing to sort of take on that challenge, right? And so, yeah, I was canvassed and I was asked about it. I thought about it. I think I thought about it for almost a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And then I contacted my local president and said, OK, you know what? I think I'm confident and comfortable and, you know, I, I feel like I can do this. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I ended up uh, running and uh, succeeding. I uh, was elected at the age of 33, making me the youngest uh, in the history of our federation. And I'm told, and I'm not, I can't verify it, so don't (laughs) fact check me, but the youngest of any federation ever. Um, So to me, like I was 33, I wasn't the youngest worker. And Mm -hmm. by some standards, I'm not even a young worker at that age. Mm -hmm. Um, But You know, I hope to see younger people one day, like younger than me. Like, I I hope this record doesn't stand a long time. You know, we want to see younger folks get elected and and, and be leaders uh, in Ontario's labour movement.
0: Yeah, I myself am 31 and feel already not a young worker. Right on. Um, And I feel the exact same way. I want to see some, you know, 18 year olds, 19 year olds, 20 year olds um, starting to come to the table. Um, and supporting, being around leadership so they can learn and step into that role. Um, when you became a part of the OFL, and that's, that's like a big career change, you know, like you're now um, a whole province and not just a certain type of union, so not just public sector, but also private sector. Was that a big learning curve for you, stepping into that role? Or did you feel like you were meant to be
2: right 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 no, absolutely not i uh, I never think I'm the smartest person in in the room. There's always something to learn um, there's a learning curve there's the learning curve still there today. if you're not learning something from your job uh, each and every single day, then you're probably in the wrong you know field or the wrong movement right mm-hmm. so no absolutely I um you know as you know, the years progressed. I've been at the OFL a, a couple of years now, and um, I always feel that there's new things to learn about the differences between public sector and private sector. There's different challenges, but there's also the same challenges, right? You know, privatizing uh, our public assets and resources, and um, you know that affects directly people that work in the public sector, but who are the folks? That benefit from you know public assets and resources. It's not just the folks that work in the public sector. It's people that work in private sector too. I come at I work in a grocery store, but if I get ill, you know I rely on the healthcare system. You know I re- rely on educate the education system. And so like you know privatizing any of those things and any of those sectors, uh, you know it's 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 something that we're we're sort of all impacted by it. We're in it together. It affects us all. So. You know learning to sort of draw the correlation but also learning like there's some differences as well right
0: i mean at this point i feel like grocery stores should be public service but <laughs> <laughs> here we are um so in your role Zofel, you talk a lot about obviously engaging young workers and also um you know, it's obvious to me that you want to organize the unorganized, you want to organize workers um, into unionized workplaces. Um, Do you have uh, like exterior activism then that you're participating in outside of your OFL role?
2: Um, Well, at this point, um, you know, being at the OFL, we're like the umbrella group. We think about some of these uh, challenges and issues uh, as big picture. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was at my local, I was out canvassing in workplaces, speaking to members directly, um, trying to um, you know tell them about the benefits of joining a union. Um, now I, wor- I still I consider myself an organizer um, and but we do uh, the way we organize is more of um, lobbying the government to make sure that we have easy access uh, to unions, you know workers that are going to make this change, shouldn't go through you know, hurdles and, and, and you know, have difficulty in, in terms of joining a union. It's something that's protected uh, under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, right? You know, uh, being able to access a union and join a union. Um, but why does it have to be so difficult in Ontario? So, you know, I'm tackling it from that angle of, you know, uh, making sure that, you know, we push governments to uh, have labour law reform that makes it easier to access a union. Like, that's a big pillar of, like, what we want to see here in Ontario. And then, you know, at the local levels uh, uh, with our affiliates, with our, all the unions, Opsu and others, um, you know, we want to make sure that we um, create an environment where organizers within your union can go talk to workers and, and have those workers feel comfortable like they're making a choice. They're not, you know, there's no fear in organizing and getting a union if, if you want one. Right. So that's the way that I I sort of tackle uh, organizing these days.
0: Yeah, I was just invited into um, a workplace that was trying to unionize. And it was really interesting to see even how their employer uh, tactfully separated the different um, divisions or the different departments. So they were uh, trying to even find out, you know, who works in this department so they can sign a card. Well, we don't know. We get laid off every time they come in, and when they get laid off, we come in. Wow. So it was a really interesting breakdown of how they were trying to even connect with each other. And I think people don't realize how much work it takes, like on a personal, emotional level to connect with your fellow worker, to just get them to sign that card. Right. That's not even the voting stage. That's just the card signing stage. So I think, you know, we have a lot of barriers put into place for us. So it's nice to know that the OFL is looking at it from the big picture, the legislative issues, because I think that's the last thing a young worker is thinking about. They're just thinking about trying to get members, trying to get them signed and trying to get that first vote in. So I think that's really cool.
2: And I, I wish we lived in an Ontario where, you know, card check certification was a reality, right? Like, as soon as you decide you want to join a union, as soon as you have the majority of the workers in that workplace signed up, you're unionized. You don't go through another unfair vote. You know what I mean? Because we've seen it all. Like you just, uh, you know, described some situations in your workplace and the challenges of trying to connect workers. Um, you know, when I was an organizer, you know, speaking with workers, like, you know, perhaps, You know, the employer finds out you're doing this organizing drive and they start hanging banners up at work like vote no, you know, union no. And like, these are people that have power over these workers and they're sort of telling them what to do. And there's a fear and they have these one on one meetings and, you know, they start telling them things about like how to spend their money. It's like, well, you didn't care how we spent our money before right? What little money you paid us. And we're, we're joining a union. Sometimes it's not about money. Sometimes it's about respect. Sometimes it's about scheduling. Sometimes it, it, it's, sometimes it's just like the employer takes it for granted and thinks it's all about money. It's not about money. Sometimes it's about respect. I, we, um, I remember organized uh, a movie theater and the workers there um, weren't making a lot of money per hour, but it was about scheduling and respect. And that sometimes means more than your bottom dollar. I just want to come to work. I take pride in the work that I do. And I just want to be treated fairly. And I want to know that if I'm available for a shift, if I'm the senior person, that I'm going to get those hours and, 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 and get that shift, right?
0: Yeah, and I know, you know to that point that, you know, it's, especially for young workers, I would say it gives that sense of security. Yeah. Right. And when we live in a country where our wages are being outpaced by inflation so rapidly, um, the reason why I got to be elected as a young worker in my speech, I basically said, um, you know, I don't own a house and I probably never will. I don't even own my own car. I have no assets, but I also have nothing left to lose. And that's why I wanted to fight and become a further part of the union. But I knew that the union at least had my back for security so I wouldn't lose my job uh, while I did all that activism for the union. And I think a lot of other young workers are in the exact same position. They don't own a house. They probably never will. Uh, You can just barely afford groceries now. You know, you're eating a lot of Eggs or beans on rice, like
2: (laughs) 50 cent noodles, yeah, 50 cent
0: noodles, (laughs) like really easy. Uh, you know, bread fixed prices for the last 16 years, thanks, Loblaws. But yeah, I think that you know, young workers really need the respect to your point, the sense of security, and uh, kind of our last line of defense is the union for that
2: exactly and you know what and that's what's important about you know trade unionism and, and young workers if uh, you know young workers can organize they'll they have a voice within their union and they can use that as a mechanism or a, as an avenue to, to get that fairness um, and I think you hit the nail on the head some of these things uh, today um, s- seem like a pipe dream owning a home even if you wanted to own a condo and, and I live in Toronto You want to own a condo downtown because you work downtown and you live there you want to work there and that's going to cost you something like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right and um you know the the way that we see wages and what they they pay for these uh what i'll put it in quotes these good jobs that they're creating um they're creating a lot of like minimum wage jobs right what kind of jobs um are being created Uh, they're not necessarily high paying jobs that you know, you can buy a home and own it within, you know, five to 10 years, you'll probably be on the hook for 30, 30 plus years um, trying to pay something like that off, uh, making the, the wage that they're going to pay, right? My
0: young worker friends like to say, the ones that have been able to buy a house, that they don't own the house, the bank owns the house, so. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: th- that's not far off from the truth, right? Yeah, so.
0: exactly. So, Speaking of, yeah, the, that precarious workforce, myself, my job is considered occasional part-time. So sometimes I get full-time hours and sometimes I don't. And we're noticing more and more young workers in that sort of situation where it's called casual, casual work, even right. though they've been doing it for three years, five years, in mm-hmm. my case, seven years, um, waiting for that full-time job to come down the pipeline and it, it isn't happening. So how do we engage um or how do you think we do engage precarious young workers in casual positions workers that don't know where their next paycheck is coming from even within the union because more of these unit bargaining positions are becoming casual
2: Exactly and I mean the word "casual" it almost sounds like a positive word, mm-hmm. right? It's like, hey, you get there's a casual job here that you can have. Yeah, like, you have
0: a bit of free time. You can work. Yeah, yeah.
2: why not put in a <laughs> couple hours, right? You just need ten hours a week, right? And it's just like there's nothing casual about your life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have bills to pay. Uh, you might be in college or university. You might be picking up a trade. You, like everything costs money. F- the you know inflation and the rising cost of food. Um, you know, if you have a home, whether you rent or own both are expensive doesn't matter like how you pay for it and if you own it or not it's rent is ridiculous Uh, owning a home and paying a mortgage that's ridiculous so you know there's nothing casual about a young person's life Um, yet you know and and I don't know if we want to talk about this right now and get into like a a student minimum wage and talk about the student minimum wage and that really grinds my gears so maybe I, I will get into that in just a moment but Um, I think we really need to engage folks on the issues that are important to them. So, you know, during collective bargaining, I think there needs to be a concerted effort in identifying who your young workers are, um, identifying uh, what workplaces and departments they're working in, um, pulling them in. They need to be part of the negotiating committee, they need to be part of uh, the group of folks or the segment of folks that you talk to, Um, If they're the ones working all these casual shifts, perhaps there's like a concerted effort to, you know, uh, try and eliminate that from the collective agreement, try and bargain something that um, or have some rules around the casual work where perhaps there's some minimums or perhaps there's a premium, uh, you know, on pay. Like if you're working in a casual job, perhaps there's a premium. They got to pay you more. Maybe that'll make sure that, you know, they don't necessarily overutilize that. Right. So for the little bit of hours that you're working, maybe they have to pay more right So maybe that'll have more of a push for folks to work full-time instead, right so these are the types of things um, that I think uh, and those are just examples. I'm not saying that's, that's the good solution.
0: strategies no, those are good strategies yeah
2: yeah just a, just a, as a way to dissuade the overuse of you know precarious workers or low-waged workers uh, you know within any unit. so I think that's one strategy that can be used uh, internally with unions. Um, you really have to put a young worker lens on, know what the workplace looks like and and take feedback um, and really push for that and activate people give them the opportunities to get involved um, let them uh, if they haven't found their voice yet give them that space to find their voice right um, and even within the union um, perhaps create an environment where they they can support young worker spaces uh, perhaps young workers want to do a podcast Right. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, maybe that's one thing that, uh, you know, you can connect with other young workers and uh, inspire them or connect with them, get them involved, get them excited about something. Um, just, I think that's, uh, you know, the way forward or the strategy on, on how you can activate folks.
0: Yeah. And I mean, further to that point, I think then what becomes really important is succession planning for those precarious workers. So at, at this point, Uh, idea, I guess I'm thinking about like the strength of the union itself Mm -hmm. and the union moving forward. um, I mean, there's been, you know, there's obviously competing news sources. Unionization is declining. Unionization is on the rise. I think overall, you know, CBC reported Mm -hmm. last year that Collective action appears to have given way to individual moves to improve compensation. So a declining uni- union density in Canada. And mm-hmm. I think that's a fascinating point of view because, I mean, it is true. I do find that a lot of workplaces can lose their bargaining unit positions, mm-hmm. either through people, more managers being created yeah. or um, positions being eliminated through attrition. So mm-hmm. someone retires out of that position they don't feel they need to post it, the duties get split up. And as our work lives become more um, demanding, as our home lives become more fiscally demanding, um, I'm always curious to see how the strength of the union Mm -hmm. will continue forward when more and more precarious workers are in existence. The succession planning for unions Mm -hmm. um, involving that Any thoughts and ideas? Does the OFL have like a 10-year plan? Like, I'm always curious how the Federation uh, of Labour's, you know, NUPCHI, the National Union of Public General Employees, uh, the Canadian Labour Congress, I'm always curious if they have a sort of, yeah, like a four-year plan, a 10-year plan, like.
2: Right. Well, I think that starts with, and I don't think any plan can be created without hearing out young workers. And I think it starts with having young worker committees. I know, for example, OPSU is one of the unions that I know out there. You're on the right track as far as having young worker committees and regions where folks are um, coming together to talk about the issues that perhaps affect them regionally and those workplaces. And then, you know, you build a strategy on that. And I think Mm -hmm. that also builds uh, the strength of those young workers. Um, But I, I don't buy the premise that, you know, uh, unions are, are, are weak or there's no there's no reason for them moving forward like w- wages are on the rise like I, I don't believe like there's a lot of great employers out there that are just willing to provide you with a, a great pension and you know full benefits and a great wage um, so there needs to be a fight back I think recently um, last November I'm sure you've heard the, uh, the words uttered, general strike, mm-hmm. right? That was a big one. Um, and a lot of people came together, um, you know, members of QP, OSBCU, uh, to their credit and to the credit of the entire labor movement, we came together, uh, many young workers involved in that fight back as well. Um, we had a government that was pushing back, the government was the employer in this case, pushing back against some of the lowest paid folks that work in education, librarians, you know, some support staff in the office, caretakers, so on and so forth, the list goes on. But the, uh, they really pushed back, uh, the workers pushed back, um, they were going to be legislated back to the table, they were going to get uh, a collective agreement basically forced down on them, and uh, that collective action, which a lot of young people uh, took part in, um, including young people and especially young people, um, really pushed back and that legislation was probably that the government b- brought in um, you know this labor movement flexed our muscle. we called for a general strike at the OFL. We passed a motion that all of our affiliates agreed to. Um, and day one of us calling that, um, you know the government already conceded saying we don't want any problems, See, right? See, <laughs> that's really interesting.
0: So I didn't know that that actually was a vote. And I think that says something even about our media, our labor media, to that point, that everything gets hidden away in labor. Like all the all the good labor news right. is not reported. It's exactly. bad labor news that gets reported. Right. A- and I think if uh, that had been publicized and put to a press release, uh, you know, OFL would have had 110%, you know, support from everyone. Right. Um, and I, you know, obviously it was a great tool because uh, the government submitted. Yeah. But I think that's actually a perfect segue to talk about OFL's Enough is Enough campaign. Absolutely. Um, many of us are involved. Um, I was on the big call that you folks had online we um, we're very excited to see the day of action happen um and i was hoping you could yeah maybe talk a little bit more about that you're already on your second or third step in the plan it seems like so yeah yeah. things
2: things are moving and they're moving quite quick and i gotta say like even just sort of rewinding for a second just talking about this general strike you're right labor sometimes we don't celebrate our successes as much as we can because there's always a new fire to put out Mm -hmm. right so we're like on to the next one on to the next one and this campaign you you mentioned enough is enough. It's sort of a, it's a good segue to talk about this because we want to draw on that power. We want to draw on you know the anger of folks. You know there's a lot of despair out there. Like why get involved? Like everything seems so bleak. You know the system's built against us. Um, but this campaign's really um, meant to activate folks, inspire folks, let them know that there's a better way. Let them know there's something worth fighting for. And there's a lot of, uh, there's five pillars really in this campaign um, that we think that communities and workers can see themselves in. And this is not a union campaign that we want this to be a a grassroots led uh, campaign, which it is, and many workers are are getting involved. Um, But, you know, this campaign talks about real wage increases. Um, You know, we want to have a higher minimum wage. You know, let's get to that $20 mark. We know that at $15 an hour, even if you work 40 hours a week. Can you afford to rent or buy a home? Probably not. Can you afford the utilities? Can you afford food? Can you afford uh, medications if you need any? Probably not. So we're looking at, you know, really um, pushing a higher minimum wage. But in that same breath, we also think a great pathway to getting, uh, you know, better jobs out there is uh, creating a better pathway to unionization. Right. So something like card check certification is very much uh, a part of this uh, plan as well. Um, you know, talking about uh, keeping our public assets uh, like I talked earlier, uh, public, you know, uh, education and healthcare, two of the biggest files here in Ontario, there's billions of dollars involved. And we see, um, you know, what uh, the premier in this province is doing, Premier Ford and his Conservatives, um, they are trying to privatize uh, health care. Uh, you know, we were out with nurses just the other day on uh, on a line rallying. Um, you know, better care, better wages. You know, we don't want hallway medicine, right? And part of you know better care means taking care of the nurses who are taking care exactly. of us, right? Um, you know, we don't want to be losing nurses out of the sector. We don't want them going to different provinces where perhaps um, they can actually survive and 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 live on better wages. Like we should have that here in Ontario, right? Um, so, you know, keeping those public assets or uh, those things in, in the public realm is is uh, really important. Um, you know, affordable groceries, gas, uh, hydro, basic goods, that's another pillar. And I think that affects everybody. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a, a, a millionaire, billionaire CEO, like you're not going to really feel it. But the rest of us who, who have everyday jobs, <laughs> right, yeah. um, that really affects us, you know, pumping gas, Um, at the gas station, Um, you know, uh, if you use public transit, you know, there's many jurisdictions that are increasing what public transit costs. Who's using public transit?
0: Well, that's it. Ridership is already down. Uh, It was funny where I live in Toronto, we have an amazing new uh, city councillor and they gave us a really good newsletter where they said, you know, we did not obviously endorse these transit cuts, but we want you to know where you're gonna be affected and you know it's like it's always the duff bus the dufferin bus yet again gets cut down and it's like but it already is so bad like you know and you there's so many other routes you can name um i mean i've always thought you know jane and finch like just give them more buses like it's not that hard um and what i really find frustrating is that It seems to me that public offices, uh, politicians you know, of a certain ilk, they really want or believe that this infrastructure is supposed to make money. And it really doesn't need to. It's to support the people. It's to keep everything going because when those people are supported in all of their other needs, then your province will make more money because they're going to be working like crazy. They're going to feel good. They're going to spend money. You know, it's cyclical. Um, so I just, yeah, I really feel like this campaign that OFL has launched is extraordinarily timely. Um, could you remind us the day of action that is planned, the date for that?
2: June 2nd. June 2nd is the day uh, day of action. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're not just working towards June 2nd as uh, the one day of action. Mm-hmm. That's where we really want to mobilize folks to come out and come out together mm-hmm. and, and show that solidarity. We want to repeat the success of fighting back, uh, you know, Premier Ford and the Conservatives on Bill 25, right? You know, we we, we got that win with uh, those QP workers, the OSBCU workers. And so we want to repeat that. We want to continue the pressure. We want to create that same success. And we need workers to sort of mobilize and come out. This is a worker led movement, right? It's not led by Ahmed Gayid, or it's not led by one president or the next right yeah. or one union or the next this is led by community and labor it's one in the same um, the end goal here obviously is to work towards the next provincial election mm-hmm. so we mobilize people now we keep up the pressure we make sure that the government can't renege on its uh, promises like opening up the green belt mm-hmm. you know that's not creating you know um, affordable housing for us Mm-mm. that's uh, creating affordable that's creating a housing Um, that's only accessible to those that have a lot of money right I'm sure those homes are gonna cost a million dollars plus right Um, so that's not really helping us out so the end goal here is to keep up the pressure and um, you know remove this conservative government um, from being the government we need to have a workers friendly government um, in the OFL's opinion and we can talk about this more if you wish, but you know, we, we endorse and we support the NDP. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime we have called for labor law reform, anytime we fought back to get things like paid sick days or you know, something to support workers, car check certification, they've been there by our side. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really do champion uh, workers' issues Um, and they really are a worker party. So that's why we're always, uh, you know, championing the NDP and they champion our issues. Um, So the end goal here is really to remove Ford from power, uh, Premier Ford, um, and get uh, a government in place that's uh, really gonna have our back.
0: Now on the OFL Zoom call, y'all were like, let's, you know, how many people do we think we can see in the streets? Mm 10,000, 20,000? And, I think it's interesting that uh, the OFL endorsed the idea of a general strike and mm-hmm. then we're doing a day of action. So we're sort of building that power, right? building that capacity. Um, the last action we ever had in Canadian history where more than a million workers walked off the job. Um, was in 1976, and that was in protest against wage and price controls imposed by the federal government trying to combat soaring inflation. Wow hmm. Hmm. these These things feel all very familiar yet again.. Right. And uh, I wonder, you know, is the is the idea of a general strike in the pocket of political action to sort of oust Ford from office?
2: Well that's a very interesting question that you have asked and um, I don't know that I can answer it mm-hmm. but I know who can and I think it's workers here in Ontario. Mm-hmm. The last time we called a general strike and like I said this labour movement in Ontario flexed our muscle mm-hmm. and you know that Bill 25 was like you know the shortest-lived uh, bill here in Ontario lasted a weekend bit basically <laughs> right um, workers are the ones that pushed that movement and pushed uh, leaders Mm -hmm. to come to the table and say, we're calling for a general strike. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, you know, again, it's not up to one leader or the next or the next to say, we're having a general strike because I said we're gonna Mm -hmm. have one. It's gonna be a worker led movement. If workers are leading us to a general strike, Mm -hmm. then we're gonna have a general strike. Mm but we have to have the workers push and organize and mobilize to get there. You know, I I don't know a million people, (laughs) but I probably know, you know, 50 people who know another, you know, 200 people who know another 2000 people. And, you know, as you can see, the the list gets bigger, right? Um, So if that's what it's gonna take uh, for us to get change here in the province, then let's do it. Um, you know by all means this labor movement will move wherever workers take it Mm -hmm. Um, if we don't have a general strike then at least let's keep up the pressure Mm -hmm. um, on this government I mean I was out with nurses uh, you know if they don't get it shut it down right Uh, it doesn't mean like all the nurses are leaving the hospitals but the ones that are off of their shift like we're gonna take to the streets we are going to Queen's Park. We are going to keep screaming and shouting. We are going to keep lobbying. We're going to keep speaking to media. We're going to keep speaking to communities and neighbors. So that's the type of pressure that we have to keep up. That's what June 2nd really our focus is. Let's mobilize as many people as possible. And if we have thousands upon thousands of people in the street, perhaps we'll have them all over Ontario, right? then you know what? Perhaps we're headed in that direction where we do have a general strike. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to be able to call it. No, exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah, to your point, it's all about building worker power. I mean, I think often of um, workers uh, in my own workplace that will say, you know, I want this and I want this. And I'll be like, okay, so you're going to come to the next general membership meeting, right? 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 Right?" And then they don't come. So I, you know, and I understand that that's a twofold problem that can be maybe... Like your local not doing enough to like energize the membership, but also, you know, there's only so much one person can do. And um, I think when we understand the power of collective action mm-hmm. and how many hands make light work, that's right. Um, you know, we're always going to be stronger together and much more powerful together. Agreed. Um, yes. So I, you wanted to talk about student minimum wage, which, uh, yes, let's please open that door. Right. I have a friend who's a neuroscientist and makes less money than I do oh, because wow. she's still in her PhD.
2: Oh my God. So she's
0: under that student wage cap.
2: Oh my God, well.
0: And it's it's a problem, like, yeah. you know, and, and not just our own uh, students, maybe from Canada, but for the international students as well and all the hardships international students have been going through. I think of um, some of the deaths being reported in BC around some international students. Um, And just, yeah, you know, if there was a word more severe than precarious, I don't know what it is right now, but I would use it in their situation. So if you wanna talk about that, I'd love to open up that conversation.
2: Yeah, I mean, student minimum wage has, uh, and I said it earlier, really grinds my gears. It's like the perfect way For governments and their rich friends or employers to take advantage of a segment of the population. Um, You know, if you're between the ages of 16 and 18, um, here in Ontario today, you're worth 90 cents per hour less than somebody else who makes general minimum wage. Um, You know, the differences in those minimum wage, uh, the general minimum wage being uh, $15.50 and uh, and the student minimum wage being $14.60. And And so, for me, it it opens up a couple issues. Um, If you're a student, um, you do the same work as someone else who's working in whatever workplace it is. You've been trained. Uh, you show up for work, you've been there you know, longer than three or six months, you're pa- well past probation, for example, if you had a probation period. I don't know why your work is worth less. You're worth 90 cents less than me. Um, and so, why is this not a bigger problem? I mean, I guarantee you if folks between the ages of 16 and 18 could vote, Uh, I bet you there wouldn't be a student minimum wage because uh, that government would probably be voted out of office. Just like, let's look at the reverse of that, like people on the other part of the spectrum. Let's say you're a, a senior citizen or let's say you're over the age of 50. Imagine what would happen to a government that announced, hey, listen, if you're 50 plus or 60 plus, by the way, your work is worth 90 cents less per hour here in the province of Ontario. What do you think would happen to that government? Well, I mean, those folks that are 50 and 60 and beyond, they can vote, right? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the power that they have. So that's sort of the perfect, uh, I guess, catastrophe that governments have created, both uh, conservative and liberal. Uh, it's always bothered me. Um, and by the time um, you hit you know, 18 years old, you're probably going off to college or university. And uh, when you're in college and university, you're, you're now making a perhaps general minimum wage or more. Um, that's no longer an issue you personally it's an issue for someone else now right so some I find the general public has uh, and young people sometimes we have short memory spans as far as like oh I just went through that but it's not my problem anymore right and that's the case with like not just young people it's just even you know voters uh, you know in the general population there's a lot of voter apathy or people forget like by the time an election rolls around it's like oh, yes, uh, I can't remember all the horrible things, but I just, you know, got a rebate back for my license plate. You know, I, I just, you know, got back a, a nice fat check. Got from... my
0: Ontario Trillium benefit. Oh,
2: my God, yeah, <laughs> very timely, right? Like, come on now. So for me, that's always, like, really bothered me. The student minimum wage is something I think we need to fight back. Uh, the, the excuse is, like, young people need to, you know, be more uh, attractive for employers to, to sort of, you know, uh, hire. It's like, well you know, I think, are we not having a worker shortage? I think they're going to hire them anyway, right? Like, you should just let, like, again, there's nothing casual about a young person's life. They need to save for college because, and university, because that's not free and that's not cheap. They need to pay for food. Uh, They need to, you know, uh, pay for transit or, or, and, you know, they need to go out and have fun too, right? Like, so um, that's one big thing that's always bothered me. And um, yeah, I think it's something that, we should put on the radar once again and try and get rid of.
0: Exactly. I mean, equal work for equal pay. Exactly. That's, you know, why not? And I would say that a young worker coming fresh out of school is honestly more gung ho, is so eager um i think it's absolutely hilarious you know the tagline like no one wants to work anymore you know yeah. bullshit like <laughs> it's it's crazy to me yeah. <laughs> it's crazy to me that yeah i cuz i remember coming out of school like all i wanted to do was work exactly. i wanted to be in the workforce i wanted to be respected like that's a sign of adulthood of coming into your own and I think it's very interesting that the idea is, oh, you'll be more attractive to an employer. Well, why would an employer respect you Mm -hmm. if you're only, you know, like it becomes an optics thing. It becomes a subconscious bias. And um, I think uh, one of the first steps we could do to help uh, students is to, you know, reduce tuition. But. Yeah. that's a personal opinion <laughs> yeah yeah listen I, I I think it should be free, but yeah. like let's take some oh, steps in I'm the right direction that. yeah
2: <laughs> right? like it needs to be uni- universally accessible I mean the student movement has fought back so many times uh, at some point you know uh for if you're a part of a certain uh the previous government sort of labeled it as like free education, but we know it's like you know the the average cost of school is free for some people within a certain wage right. grid bracket, right? But it's not universal yet. So let's sort of push in, and let's get uh, school to be uh, universal, post secondary to be universal and accessible to all. Um, I think we only benefit from that. It's really an investment, right? You make it accessible. There there's probably some brilliant folks out there that, you know, uh, don't have access um, to college or university or, or, or even going to uh, getting into one of the trades, right? So. Um, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you.
0: Yeah, I think especially of our young people in uh, northern and remote and rural communities Mm -hmm. and uh, their access to education and, you know, not just university but high school, you know, coming uh, in from their remote towns to go to a brand new city, um, to go to high school and the financial toll that in and of itself takes, like, we're already victimizing the poor by making it so much harder to even educate yourself. Exactly. And uh, we've just, we've got to change it. Amelia, did you have anything you want to add? We haven't heard from Amelia because she is our quiet producer, but I thought I'd give her, I'd share the
1: power. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, actually, you answered my question because I was going to ask about the student uh, wage yeah, for sure. Because yeah. that's... That's a huge issue, not even just for like students um, in that age group, but also I feel like university students don't know their rights when they're in their first jobs, it, be it unionized or non- non-unionized. Especially non-unionized for me is I remember it just brought back a, me- a memory of not getting a raise for the four years you worked at that job yeah. and not knowing that. That's a shame, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So
0: awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, I've been told that we have been talking for over 45 minutes. Which is amazing.
2: That that, that just blew by like real quick. Is there
0: anything else you wanted to talk about before I give you some rapid fire close up questions?
2: Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, you know what? Just I don't know if it's like a final thought or whatever. But like just going back to what I was saying previously, like some unions I, I see out there are doing the right things. They're going to where young people are at they're doing things that interest young people whether it's this podcast and again i joked about it earlier like that was so obvious we we're doing a <laughs> podcast right but that's one way that you could engage young people creating an environment where you have committees um you know your very own jp hornick president jp hornick she um you know when she was the uh, coordinator um, uh, of uh, the school of labor at george brown uh, college mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, did some outreach to me when I was uh, newly elected at the, at the uh, OFL and, you know, had me come in to, you know, talk to some of the students there about trade unionism and the history and, you know, organizing. And so I think there's so many different ways and capacities that we can connect people. Um, When I was at UFCW, we had a program called Talking Union. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, you know, in my early 20s then, um, we would go into high schools and talk to students about what organizing is and what a union means. And when you ask you know, a young person, you know, what, what's a union? The, the first two things they'll say is like strike or like, you know, something that sort of has a negative connotation, not that going on strike is a negative thing all the time, but, um, but th- that's usually the word association that, that comes to mind. So I think uh, your union's on the right track and the right path, your Young Workers Committee is on the right track uh, in, in doing this type of outreach um and i just wanted to sort of point that out and say there's so many ways in in which we can engage young people um we should ask young people how do we engage other young people because they know where they're at they know uh, you know where they are physically they know where they they're at like or um you know what their capacity is like and so uh, i just uh, I'm, i'm really happy to be a part of this podcast but now the rapid fire What's yeah. that all about? <laughs> uh,
0: so, sources say that you like hot sauce. Mm. <laughs>
2: okay. Yes, I do.
0: So, uh, please tell us your favorite hot sauce. I also love hot sauce. Okay. And my neighbors just came back from Mexico and got me some.
2: Real nice. Hot oh sauce. wow! So I'm okay. always looking
0: for hot sauce recommendations.
2: Okay, awesome. Well, um, hot, I love. Uh, well, you asked me uh, what hot sauce is my favorite. My answer is all of them. Nice. Uh, depends what I'm eating. Totally. Right. Thanks.
0: Good answer. That's <laughs> the right answer. Depends yeah. what
2: I'm eating, right? So. Yeah, there's uh, and I don't want to mention any brand names no, because don't. yeah, we're not going to throw <laughs> out those brand names, but like listen, if if you're having, uh, you know, ethnic food, Mexican food, yeah. you want a Mexican hot sauce to go with that. There's like six or seven kinds you can choose. If you're if you're eating uh, Indian food, there's probably a certain chutney you want to sort of get there. If you're having Chinese food, then there's probably a, a sriracha sauce or something of that sort that you want to sort of eat right so the hotter the better
0: that's the correct answer (laughs) um so as a very privileged Torontonian I love to try all the different foods of all the different communities I was originally born in a rural community uh, a very white town and one of my favorite things of Toronto was eating as much food as I possibly could so Libyan restaurant recommendations
2: oh wow that's a hard one I know we're such a small community we're such a small community um, I'll be honest, I don't know of one. So
0: your mom's kitchen?
2: My mother's kitchen is the best okay. place.
0: Okay, good. But it's
2: not a restaurant. But you know what? I don't <laughs> mind sharing her food, <laughs> right? It's, it's she's a really good cook. But at the end of the day, uh, I wish there was a lot of restaurants I can go to, but uh, we're, we're missing on the map.
0: Okay, well, no, that's good to know. We need to, we need to find some Libyan restaurants and, and support them. Um, last question. It's a really easy one. Go for a hike or read a book
2: go for a hike. I'm an outdoors person. I love hiking. I love camping. I love nature. I live in the, the east part of Toronto, like in Scarborough, East Scarborough, the Rouge. Um, you know, there's nothing better than taking a 40 or 50 minute walk through, you know, the, the Rouge. Um, you know, whether you're walking by the river and seeing salmon swim up the river uh, or whether, you know, there's rabbits or deer or, or fox in the area. It's so beautiful. I, I, love, uh, I love the outdoors. I love nature. So definitely uh, take a hike.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. First podcast recording success. Yes. There you go. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Thanks, listeners. Please reach out to us because we want to hear from you, our union siblings and our community comrades, so we can learn and grow together. Let us know what issues you want us to explore. This is a conversation and we want your participation.
1: You can email us at youngworkersopsu at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. All the links can be found in the podcast
0: bio. And please share and subscribe. See you next time.